Hello, and welcome to the Expertise Podcast. If you have listened to the podcast before, you might remember that there are multiple contributors that come and voice their opinion on various subjects and topics. You may remember me, I am Abraham, I am one of the core bunch, as it were. However, you may notice that there is nobody else here. The reasoning for this is because I am the only one who is not currently resident in the United States of America, and hence I'm the only one who is not celebrating Thanksgiving, the date upon which this podcast is being recorded. Therefore, in place of the usual format, I shall be giving you my own podcast just from myself. Hopefully, it will have some interesting insights, as I try to give on a regular basis, but more specifically to give context to the kinds of things that I say without properly explaining myself on the usual podcast. Now, despite the absence of my co-podcasters, I have been given topics to discuss specifically, so I do not have complete free reign. That is why, in this podcast, my principal case study shall be kittens. More precisely, this podcast will have three goals. To give meaning to them, to deconstruct them, and to evaluate the optimal political structure for appreciating them. Recent sociological study has made abundantly, empirically, and demonstrably clear that the matters of truth and epistemology, that being our diagnosis as to what truth is and where it comes from, is undoubtedly connected to the cultural lens through which we process our own senses, and hence the world around us, as well as our ideas, which are often built upon that empiricism, i.e. the trust in our senses, or the ideas of preceding human beings or cultural consensus. Preference, for instance, is an expression of truth, or a prioritization of certain truths in many cases, and it would be relatively naive to make the argument that questions of preference are not impacted and influenced by the competing subcultures and cultures that a human belongs to and makes part of their own pluricultural identity. Now, self-evidently, with the mass of social groups that every human being is a part of um, and the roles that they play within that, so for instance, maybe kitten owner, um, father, son, football team supporter, university professor, all of those social groups that, you know, impact one's identity, we have to acknowledge our limitations when generalizing. However, all of these social groups, to an extent, are defined by the context every social group is bound by, namely their time and place of their setting. So to get back on topic, if we are to evaluate the question of the meaning of kittens, metaphysically or whatever other way you want to evaluate them, we can use the format of cultural movements in time and in history as a means of a lump categorization of the perspectives surrounding the meaning of kittens. Sadly, on this podcast, we cannot go through every single human cultural movement because there are just so many stemming from in Proto-Indo-European Yamnaya and Corded Ware all the way up to postmodernism and metamodernism. Therefore, for the purposes of simplicity, we shall cover all pre-modernist cultural movements as one lump entity. And while it may not do these cultural movements inside of it justice, that will leave remarkably fewer cultural movements to consider for this debate. This would leave us with seven different frameworks for perspectives to consider, those being pre-modernism, modernism, ultramodernism, hypermodernism, postmodernism, metamodernism, and finally, craniomodernism. 
The last of these is not yet a cultural movement, but essentially the core of my political beliefs is to make it become a cultural movement in the future, so I'm including it nonetheless. So anyway, back on topic, let's explore how each cultural movement that I've just mentioned would calculate the meaning of kittens and use it as an example for how they calculate meaning and purpose to other things as well. So let's start with number one, pre-modernism. How would a pre-modernist describe and designate the meaning and purpose of a kitten? Well, for the pre-modernist cultural movements, the question of truth is often completely interwoven with the concept of divinity. So, for example, including questions of preference, meaning, purpose, or priority, the answer can often be traced back to one universal truth, which usually manifests themselves, shall we say, as the Judeo-Christian God. Of course, though, when we're dealing with pre-modernism, we're talking prior to a properly globalized world. So in places that aren't the West, often this comes to different deities, different concepts of divinity. But nonetheless, for almost every shade of pre-modernism, the question of truth and all of the different facets of truth is a religious question. Therefore, the pre-modernistic approach would be that a kitten is a creation of God and is part of God's plan. The preferable ethics and aesthetics surrounding kittens, therefore, as well, are also territorialized to the will of God. So, for example, one pre-modernistic ethical judgment about kittens would be that we treat them with respect as they are made and designed by God. So I suppose, in other words, the point of the meaning of kittens from a pre-modernistic approach would involve the premise of God at the forefront of the meaning of the kittens. Now to move on to modernism, a modernist would similarly territorialize the question of meaning and truth of the kittens to a sort of a objective, specific, universal purpose and truth. However, unlike the pre-modernist, they would see multiple of these truths and they wouldn't necessarily be connected to any one deity. In this manner, this approach would generally be seen as more holistic or comprehensive than that of the pre-modernist. One example of a modernist assessment of the kitten would be that it is an animal that has been primed for domestication by evolutionary process. If we were to bring in another universal truth according to modernism, such as dialectical materialism, which Marx obviously talks about, then perhaps the ethics and aesthetics of the kitten that we practice towards it would be in part determined by our own needs and what we do on the basis of these needs in a dialectical synthesis. So in other words, essential to the modernist approach is that we can calculate this meaning and this purpose to us, as well as universally, through a sort of a formulaic procedure or a kind of a grand equation. In turn, ultramodernism is really just modernism on steroids, completely emphasizing the idea of the kitten having some sort of function that is inherent to its nature that must be at the forefront in our decisions of how to treat it. So an ultra-modernist ex extension of the evolutionary modernist theory could be that kittens are the inherent servants of man. And then hypermodernism is quite like ultra-modernism, but sort of flipped on its head with an alternate function. So for instance, the hypermodernist counter to the ultra-modernist could be that kittens are actually the inherent dominators of man. A postmodernist, however, critiques 
all of that by essentially acknowledging that universal truth is practically impossible for us to accurately gauge. And that as a result, almost all of the truth that we apply, for example, to kittens and all of the meaning and purpose is socially constructed and ultimately relative. So their meaning and purpose and the way we should treat them depends essentially on ourselves and our own cultures and our own backgrounds. The postmodernist counter to modernism, for example, might be that while the kitten has indeed evolved from its ancestors, this does not make it inherently better or worse uh, than the ancestors that its species came out of. Furthermore, it can even be considered somewhat liberating in that the kitten doesn't have to have some kind of universally prescribed meaning and can actually attain a certain relative meaning or purpose, either of its own volition or the volition of the people who are designating it with purpose to them. However, to some, this approach seems a little bit defeatist because we stop investigating as to what that meaning or purpose of the kitten may be. And this may in turn mean that our own ethics as to how we treat those kittens may not be as productive or directed. So, for example, if there were no inherent meaning to its domestication, why should we as a population strive, for example, to improve that domestication or do the reverse? The postmodern condition, when applied to kittens or practically anything else, conditions us to only make minor adjustment as opposed to pursuing more long-term and more rewarding ethical practices. So unless we have some inkling of purpose there is no direction and ultimately no possibility for improving or building on the situation that we currently have with kittens in regards to their domestication or whatever else it may be. And this ultimately is where the metamodern perspective comes into play, which attempts to blend the modernist direction with the self-awareness of postmodernism so that we embark on a direction but understand that our capacity to understand that full universal truth is limited. So we have to be prepared for that universal truth that we see to shift and adapt as time goes by and as we learn new things and encounter new perspectives. This is why one of the key words to describe metamodernism is oscillation. Oscillation between, for example, sincerity and insincerity, between the hopelessness and hopefulness, uh, between uh, confidence and inconfidence, um, all of these sort of these binary factors that are, you know, attached to either modernism or postmodernism. It's essentially about finding a good mix and mixing these characteristics around for an approach to questions of meaning and purpose in regards to kittens, for example, that is both productive and also comprehensive and holistic. So the metamodernist kitten may be conditionally quite like the modernist one, although preferably described through the means of irony or doubt. And then there's my perspective, which I would hope one day will become the craniomodernist perspective. The craniomodernist perspective on the kitten would start from the fact that often questions of meaning and purpose have already been internalized by the society that is asking the question. So for example, in relation to kittens, we as a society already have internally convinced ourselves of a meaning and purpose for a kitten as, for example, a pet. And it's something that we wouldn't be able to easily get away from. So arguing in, in defense of oscillation 
or that we can't attain meaning is almost pointless because we've already secured this de facto objectivity within our own judgment that we can't easily remove. It is an idea, this idea of meaning for a kitten, that has injected itself so deeply into society that it should be treated as objective. And this means that when we confront this question, we'll often perceive it as objective, when in truth, it may not be quite as universal as we expect it to be. Now, this may seem relatively trivial, especially in respect to the question of determining meaning for kittens, although on certain larger issues, such as the issue as to whether or not there is a human nature and what it is, the particularity of the cranial modern approach can make all the difference, and this is why it needs to be its own movement. We have to understand that meaning, purpose, and truth are the product of our own ideas, and that overwriting them is exceptionally difficult. Once these truths have become well established. The process of enshrining this de facto objectivity is quite an interesting one. It starts with abstract thought, maybe in the form of artistic or philosophical ideas, which then go on to forefront a cultural movement. And then when this cultural movement is materially applied onto a certain society and becomes consensus in its ways of thinking about the question of truth, for example, or at least approaching truth, this consensus can then be collectively internalized by the population, which then leads to it being the basis for further abstract thought and further cultural movements. And it's through this kind of process to which we design our own ethics, our own metaphysical understanding of the world, and also our own epistemology, our way of dealing with truth, a truth that may include the meaning of kittens. And this is sort of the essence to craniomodernism, which is my own belief. That essence being the process through which we as humans can use our abstract thought to essentially create our own static rules and principles for society. And needless to say, this goes beyond just tradition or protocol, which can be more easily shifted than questions of truth. But also crucial to craniomodernism is a meta-metaphysical question as well as just a metaphysical one. We've been dealing with the metaphysical question as to what the meaning and purpose of a kitten is, but within craniomodernism, we also have to ask ourselves why we are asking this question, why we are trying to find this meaning in reality, as opposed to finding hypothetical meanings that we should then look to try and bring about. And it also means placing particular emphasis as to the process of socialization as a child and how they internalize society, what parts of their surroundings are going to stick within their concept of truth, perhaps forever. We as a society need to be culturally prioritizing questions like how we think the impressionable among us will go on to form their meaning of kittens, for example, based on what they're exposed to and how. So now that we've talked about cultural movements giving kittens meaning. Let's move on to our second subject, which is deconstructing kittens. Now, I know hearing that might sound a little bit morbid, but I promise you it's not. We're actually going to be doing a very similar thing as we did with the cultural movements, but with different forms and reactions to the idea of structuralism here. 
Deconstruction or déconstruction um, is a technique that was founded by Jacques Derrida, a postmodernist philosopher, with the intent of taking the social constructs out of our perception and reporting of a particular entity, such as a kitten. Derrida's point was essentially that nothing we do, say or write can be divorced from the cultural context under which we are performing that action. If we were, for example, to take the definition of kitten as a small baby cat, all of those words, Derrida would argue, are in some way relative, and hence, without proper context, there is no way to objectively describe that kitten in a way that everyone would be able to understand. One can add increasing numbers of adjectives, for example, to describe what they are trying to describe. However, however many you add, you're never going to be able to get it perfectly and get the same picture for everybody, based purely on text alone. And so Derrida's conclusion was essentially that words don't really have any meaning without necessary context. As a result, he would say, we cannot convey universal truths objectively to one another, because the baseline fundamental means of communication that we employ are in themselves inobjective, and even our systems of language contain their own certain biases. But let's provide a bit of context. Firstly, we have to consider the structuralist movement, which was a movement that sort of lies somewhat in between modernism and postmodernism, in that it critiques modernist ideas such as dialectical materialism, for instance, which hold to a universal truth, because different structural frameworks of different places and different cultures around the world all yield different conclusions due to the biases of these systems, of these structures, all of which are somewhat unique from each other. Structuralism aimed to critique these differences and investigate them, but post-structuralists like Derrida saw this as fundamentally futile because it involves using those systems uh, which are already containing their own biases. So in that sense, you can never have an objective study into the effects of certain structures, such as language. If we look into why we, as a certain society, define kittens in the way that we do, and why we have given them the meaning that we attach to them, it becomes extremely hard to do this properly. And this, in turn, is why we need metastructuralism, which, similar to metamodernism, would balance the idea that we can't have it completely objectively and perfectly and do everything to optimal objectivity, but that shouldn't necessarily deter us from acting conditionally as if we did have that level of objectivity. Metastructuralism is essentially, again, about oscillation, about acknowledging post-structuralist concerns, but also not giving up on inquiries into structures. This means that metastructuralism and craniostructuralism are actually very similar. The difference between them being the metastructuralists' emphasis upon cultural factors being the source of their inobjectivity, where the craniostructuralist might instead attribute this to cross-cultural internalization that extends far beyond one mere culture. 
And therefore, even in the case of dramatic cultural shift across the period of a lifetime, for example, this isn't enough to change one's original inner objectivity instead of granting another separate and different inobjective perspective. In other words, to craniomodernists and craniostructuralists, the difference in how we perceive kittens is not so much about differing cultural perspectives so much as it is about differing internal truths that are not subject to easy adjustment from learning about different cultures, for instance, or even being immersed in them. So by this point you might be getting a bit sick of my voice, and that's completely understandable. So I think I'm going to move on to the concluding section here. What type of socio-political structure would be optimal for the appreciation of the kitten? In the first part of this podcast, I tried to lay out the process by which we can attach meaning and truth to the kitten, stemming from abstract thought and intellectualism. If we seek to appreciate the kitten, we must bestow it with more positive meaning and purpose, both through metaphysical judgment and also through our own application of abstract thought. This abstract thought will then go on to be the basis for a truth upon which new abstract thoughts will be predicated. And with this continuous addition of truth could come more meaning and more purpose for the kitten into de facto objectivity. Therefore, to maximize kitten appreciation, what we can do is maximize our generation and accumulation of abstract thought. One of the first things to do in order to achieve this is to inspire a cultural movement that places priority and significance to the role of abstract thought within society, i.e. craniomodernism. We would also have to include that nobody within society is at risk of material precarity and and poverty, so that as many people have the potential to engage with the hypothetical as possible. It is very difficult to take your mind away from reality to engage in intellectualism when you're battling for survival. This is actually the reason that I identify as a communist, because fundamentally I wish to free people from the volatile hierarchy of capitalism so that they can engage in uninterrupted intellectualism, or as I call it, intellectual perpetuity. Intellectualism can come in many forms, and can to some translate merely as the free pursuit of desire. Furthermore, transition to a more automated society might also aid our liberation from the less intellectual tasks that human beings must otherwise preoccupy themselves with. Once needs are taken care of, the individual can then pursue their personal wants, which in itself is an intellectual action and judgment especially after the dismantling of consumer culture and commodity fetishism. Overall, such a society would leave us free to attribute more and more positive meanings and purposes to kittens. However, in the second part of the podcast, I also tried to explain why simply one cultural shift isn't enough to alter and change the existing truths that we hold internally. And this is in turn why one special focus of craniomodernity must be the emphasis to confront the issues of internalization and more consciousness surrounding our practices of socialization of the most impressionable in our society. Only this way can we rewrite the de facto truths that may be impeding either kitten appreciation or automated luxury communism. This is why earlier on in the podcast I brought up the issue of human nature, albeit briefly. Humans have not always been structured throughout their history into grand hierarchies, pitted against each other to such the extent that they must engage in obscene self-prioritization, but it is also demonstrably evident that these structures and practices have been fully internalized and have somewhat disastrously prevented communism from being achieved in the past. 
But cranial modernity provides hope for people's needs, for intellectualism and free expression of individuality, and of course, for the kitten population. So, congratulations, you made it to the end of this podcast. I know it was a bit of a weird one today, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. As you may have noticed, there's only so much that I can include in a 25-minute podcast, and therefore, my coverage of the subject has been relatively rudimentary. However, I am currently writing a longer article on the subject that should hopefully give more clarity to certain points that I have made here. If this at all interests you, I would recommend you check it out once it is released. I am sure that via the podcast, I shall make you all aware when that happens. But for now, I am, have been, and will be Abraham Leonard Keefe, and I'll see you all next time, hopefully with all the other podcasters here too. Goodbye, and thank you for listening.